The symbolism of long hair, beauty and health. And I'm going to try to um, get through this in a timely fashion. I do have some things I believe are important for us to understand in regard to your Christian life and regard to your health. But let's, um, if you'll be attentive tonight and Give me your eyes and just look like you're understanding. I won't have to repeat myself. And um, we can just move right along. Dear Father, we do pray that you will bless the preaching of thy word, the teaching tonight in this midweek service. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, your holy Bible, your patience and mercy with us, Lord. And we do pray you come quickly, Father. May we be ready. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. We covered this verse on Sunday, but I want you to take a look at it again in regard to the symbolism. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats. That means it's very, very long and glorious. If she's walking through the pasture, it looks like a bunch of goats are following her that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet. Thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. All throughout the Bible, you have long hair as that which is said to be a woman's hair. The woman washed the Lord's feet with her hair. It says in the last days in the book of Revelation, it speaks of hair as women. What does that mean? It means long and flowing. I want you to look at the symbolism that we've covered before in chapter 11 of Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. Briefly, I want you to see that the woman's head, the head of every female, is a picture of mankind. Briefly, you see in verse 3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, And the head of the woman is the man. Verse 7 says, the woman is the glory of the man. She says something about mankind. She is preaching, she is teaching by her head to even angels some type of message. She is meant to be. She is appointed by God to be. Her head a picture of man. you got to understand that. Therefore, when she has long and flowing hair that covers and looks glorious, that is a picture to everyone. Should be in their conscience, certainly to the angels that know. God has assigned it. That that woman's long hair, that covering equals Christ. That's why it's glorious. That's why it's beautiful. That's why it's one of the most beautiful things upon this earth. Right there with the sunset, right there with a the flower, a woman's hair. And when we say Christ, that includes his gospel, his grace, his righteousness, his wisdom, the beauty of holiness, all that Christ gives to us.
Now, here's a question. What would happen to this symbolism if this long hair is covered in a formal religious sense, in a meritorious manner, as a prerequisite or a condition for salvation or a post-condition? If you are wearing something religious over your head and you said this must be covered in a absolute or religious sense, um, like the Mennonites, it is adding to Christ. You're messing up the picture. That would be Christ and. You got the head, which equals man. You got the long, beautiful hair, which equals Christ and his righteousness. If you put something over that, in a meritorious sense, in a conditional sense, that's Christ plus. You're adding to the finished work of Christ. You're messing up the picture. If baptism is a picture, it is, and it's supposed to be the death of the person, then sprinkling something on their head, that's not death. That's not burial. You messed up the picture. You can't add something to Christ. But what happens when believers, now that they're eternally saved through grace, and they now live a life of obedience and good works because of gratitude, because of the duty of obedience as thankful children, because of love for rewards but not for eternity? Oh, that's acceptable. That's an acceptable sacrifice. So these works don't replace or add to the finished work of Christ, then what do they do? In regard to observers, whether angelic or earthly, they adorn the good news of the finished work of Christ. It adorns Christ. And we say that in a reverent way, meaning His message. It it, it adorns the testimony of Christ. It adorns the good news, not by changing the substance of the gospel, but a picture of a life of gratitude that points people to the truth. Let me show you what I mean. It says in Titus 2, exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, that means stealing, wasting their time, but showing all good fidelity, being trustworthy, that they may, listen, adorn the doctrine of God. Why would you need to adorn the doctrine of God? Call people's attention to it. Not replace it, not pervert it, not change it, not substitute, but call people's attention toward it. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things, for the grace of God, the doctrine of God, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. If the woman's head pictures mankind, and if her long hair pictures Christ, his works and his gospel, is not the long hair glorious in itself? Is it not comely by itself that is beautiful? The Bible assures you, it says in chapter 11 of Corinthians, judge in yourselves. You ought to be able to tell this by nature, just by your own judgment. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? That means with their hair chopped off, short. Does not even nature itself teach you that inner understanding of what's beautiful? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Isn't it hideous? Isn't it ugly? You say, well, I don't think so. Yeah, we're living in a perverted time, a perverted age. 
We need to get back to a sense of natural beauty, get back to a sense of what is ugly and what is perverse and what is beautiful. That needs to be reestablished in a perverted age where you're living like barbarians and savages. Not even nature itself teaches that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, this covering, this beautiful, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. God gave it to her. As the woman's head pictures man and her long hair pictures Christ and his righteousness and his beauty of holiness and all that he gives us, Christ doesn't need another, another covering. It's beautiful as it is. A woman's long hair is beautiful as it is. There's no religious absolute requirement to do anything to it other than keep it flowing and beautiful. And So why would we add anything to it by way of further adornment? As we've seen, it's a calling attention to the beauty of it. In a wholesome way. It's not in a legal sense. In a free will sense. It says in Jeremiah 2, can a maid, a virgin, a young woman, can she forget her ornaments? God says, you know, that's not likely. That's not likely that she forget her ornaments. There were ornaments that she wore. There were ornaments in her hair. Or a bride, her attire, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why do women decorate their hair all throughout, of his, all throughout history? Because it's the first thing a man sees. It's beautiful. And as long as she is shamefaced and modest, there's nothing lewd or sensual about it any more than looking at a flower or a rainbow. And when she calls attention to that which is beautiful, it it makes the glory of her hair shine even more. And remember, it's a picture of Christ. Any ornament that she does to her hair, any braiding, any ornamentation, any crown, any flowers, anything that's holy and acceptable is a picture of the good works that we should add in response in gratitude and love. That calls attention to the beauty of that long It's beautiful in itself. But this is an ancient Chinese, this is something that's been going on in just about every culture for 6,000 years. That they may adorn the doctrine of God. Her long hair is a picture of the doctrine of God. The adorning of it is just calling attention in a sweet way to the glory. Now, if a woman said to herself, instead of believing on Christ, I'll just grow my hair long and therefore have Christ. That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous. Your hair is a picture of Christ. It's a picture of what should be an inward reality. But people do the same thing with other pictures. Baptism, they say baptism. We're going to get saved through baptism. Are you, you've lost your mind. 
the Lord's Supper, the Catholic Church says, yes, you know, you partake of the sacrament. They don't call it the Lord's Supper, but the point is, they believe it's meritorious. No, you can't just grow your hair long and be saved. It's a picture of man being covered by the blood of Christ, and that's glorious, his righteousness. But let's reason further. What if a sister, already truly saved, said that instead of living holy in good works, such as submission, she would instead beautify and adorn her long hair in various ways, ribbons and and, and pretty crowns and braids, and she would use this beauty as a substitute for the works of gratitude and love. She says, I don't need to submit to my husband. I don't have to walk around with a meek and quiet spirit and do holy things because look at my beautiful hair. That's a picture of the good works that I should have. No, never use a picture for the reality. Never substitute it. It's not meant to be a substitute for it. Listen to what John says. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What if somebody says, I'm not going to love in profession. Oh, I love you, and then go out and not love. What if somebody says, I'm going to love in picture. I'm going to go through the motions and picture that love, but there's not going to be any reality. No, you're not to do that. You're to love in deed and in truth, in the reality of it. The Bible said in the last days that there'll be an outward form of godliness. They'll go through the motions of things, but... There'll be no inner holiness. So it's always important not to substitute the picture for the thing it symbolizes. Now listen to Peter. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. You should be pretty with modest apparel. You can do pretty things to your hair. But when Peter says, let it not be, he's saying, don't let the picture be all there is. Don't let baptism be your means of salvation. Let it be a picture of salvation. Don't let this be your good works. Let it be a picture of your good works. Let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the Old Testament, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. Oh, they had outward adornments, but they were in subjection to their own husbands. And Peter proves his point. He gives an example of Sarah who called her husband Lord when nobody was looking, nobody was around showing that this was something in her mind. This was something she practiced. And nobody in the Old Testament was perfect. But there's a reason that Abraham and later Isaac wanted to bring a wife from somewhere else other than the land of Canaan. These were good women. He's saying, don't let the outward picture be used as the thing itself. On the other hand, he is not saying, get rid of the outward picture. Imagine somebody saying, you know, people use baptism as a means of salvation. We're just going to get rid of baptism. No. 
don't discard the picture. When he says not with, let it not be that outward adorning of plating or braiding the hair, wearing of gold or a putting on of apparel. These are not knots of absolute prohibition. They are knots of emphasis, as we've seen so many times before. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. That doesn't mean don't be loving in word. It means don't let it just be a profession. Don't just say I love you, but actually show love in the ways that you should. When he says don't love in word, he doesn't mean don't don't love in word. Don't let that be the emphasis. Don't let that be the only thing. Don't let a woman walk around and say, look at my beautiful hair. Look at the pretties I have in it. Look at the braids. Look at how clean I keep it and brushed and and glorious. And uh, that's all I need to have. No. Don't discard words of love. Just make sure they're not mere words. Words matter. Words have their place, just as pictures have their place. In many ways and in many situations, people are bound to take you at your word. What can they do otherwise? If you mean otherwise in what you say or said, you've got to fix it. Otherwise, your words stand. Words have weight. Certainly in legal matters and important matters of life. Proverbs 18 is probably one of the most powerful, extensive chapters of the Bible that teach us about the importance of words. It goes through so many different uh, examples and shows you that words are nevertheless powerful and consequential. It deals with tail-bearing. That, it, it's, they're hurtful. It deals with how to maintain friendships by your words. He goes in Proverbs 18, says, A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. If you love life, watch your tongue. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And then he goes on and talks about the importance of your words and maintaining your friendships and all of these types of things. Imagine a false witness on a stand and says, well, words don't matter. I'm going to give a false witness and lie about somebody. No, your words matter in legal situations and in important matters of life. Your words matter. Imagine a bride or groom at the church before the preacher and before the witnesses, and all of a sudden he gets ready to take their vow, and one of them says, I don't. Whoa, wait a second. Your words matter. Say, well, I didn't really mean that. Well, that's what you said. You better clarify it. Words matter in the Bible. Pictures matter in the Bible. The point of the Bible is that there should be substance behind any profession that you make, whether it's word or whether it's picture. Imagine seeing somebody hanging by a root on the side of a cliff. I've been there. Nobody was around, though, to help me. But imagine somebody, if they were around, walked over and says, May you be helped. I do wish you well. And then they walk away. I, I don't need your words. I, I don't need your goodwill. I need you to come help me. Throw me a rope. But what if they did Bible Pictionary? They mimicked throwing you an imaginary rope. They gave you a picture of it. No, I don't, I don't need an imaginary rope. I don't need a picture. I need you to throw me a rope. And this is the point that John and Peter are making. 
In contrast of greater and lesser importance and priority, we emphasize the greater, but it doesn't mean that you discard the lesser. He says in Matthew 23, these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Don't leave the lesser undone, but make sure you do the greater. Whatever you do, do the greater. Do them both, the outward and the inward, the inside of the cup and the outside of the cup. So Peter's not saying that women shouldn't put on apparel, even pretty apparel. Just don't let that be the main thing to consider. Don't be adorned outwardly in a beautiful way while you're disobeying your husband, your father, lacking femininity, sweetness, and softness, and reverence, and respect. You know, the serpent from the very beginning comes to tempt women with a power trip. Surveys and statistics are showing that women are now 40% more likely to cheat in a marriage than 30 years ago. That means in just these few decades, almost half, we've lost a generation of women. People who've researched it are very surprised. They said, well, well, what is the main reason? The main reason is starting to become, women are doing interviews now, and, and a lot of them are starting to say it was a power trip. I just wanted power. Wow. Peter's going to, again, in this very chapter, deal with the importance of not replacing the greater reality with a mere picture, but this time he's going to use baptism. He says, the like figure, whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Now, hold on, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. No, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Going through with the picture to have a good conscience that you've done what the Lord has said. The Lord's into the pictures. He's into symbolism. But don't let the symbol be the thing itself. Don't use baptism as a means of eternal salvation. But don't discard baptism. Don't discard the outward picture of dying with Christ and being resurrected to a new life. Don't discard the picture. Don't sprinkle a person. Sprinkle a little baby before they can even understand. Neither should women go without apparel. Neither should women cut their hair short so that it's no longer long. Paul's saying, for if the woman be not covered, that is, if she doesn't have long hair, let her also be shorn. That means cut it all off. But if it's a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, which it obviously is, let her be covered. If it's in your power, then have your hair long. If you don't have long hair... How is that beautiful? How is that showing anybody the beauty of Christ and His holiness and His righteousness? Your, the woman's head pictures man. Her long hair is a picture of Christ and His righteousness. Make it glorious, because Christ is glorious. That's Bible. If you cut your hair short, unless it's some emergency, if you shave your head, you're messing up a picture. Now you're showing man without the righteousness of Christ, and that's ugly. 
Something's messed up about that. Mankind is not meant to be without the righteousness of Christ, without the Holy Bible, without the Holy Gospel. It's like when Moses smote the rock a second time. Paul said that the rock was a picture of Christ. Moses smote it the first time, that first rock, and all of a sudden it gave forth the beautiful water. Now as a picture of the resurrected Christ, he went and messed it up. Christ isn't going to be crucified again. And he smote it twice. Messed up the picture. Don't mess up God's pictures. Moses missed the promised land because he lost his temper. But not only lost his temper, he messed up a very important picture of the gospel. But what of washing it very pretty, brushing it pretty, adorning it and ornamenting it and, and braiding it? All, things, all, all these things adorn the beauty of the picture if you're not doing them in a meritorious religious way. These things adorn the beauty of the picture. They call attention to the glory in a holy, wholesome manner. There shouldn't be a specific civil or even church legislation governing Governing this. See, there are certain works and practices that are not to be legislated by civil law. You don't want a state or federal law where police knock on your door to see if you prayed at a certain time, Church of God. We're just checking to see if you prayed, otherwise, we're going to give you a ticket. No, you don't want that. Along this line, there are certain works that you should do, but you don't even need a church law. It would even be wrong to make a church law about it. It's in the realm of free will. Liberty. For example, why was Peter able to say, while this property remained, was it not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? There are certain things that are in the realm of your government. It doesn't mean you're not to do good things with it. It doesn't mean that a preacher cannot preach in a general sense that you ought to use your property for the Lord and do good things with everything He's put in your hands. It's just that we're not going to legislate that in specific instances. Paul says, charge them that are rich, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. These are general admonitions. He didn't say, wait at the door and say, you give me your credit card right now. You're rich. We've got a rule in this church. He said, charge you. That's not what that means. You're under your own personal government when it comes to offering. But a preacher can say, hey, I hope you're using what God put in your hand for God's good. Be not forgetful, says Paul, to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Entertain means to help them. Be hospitable. As Paul says, uh, Peter says, use his hospitality one to another without grudging. But nobody needs to legislate, either church or civil, that, hey, we had a visitor and you did not help him. Shame on you. No, no, you, you, just, you don't make specific legislation, either church or civil law. That the hair should be pretty while long is implied. As he says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, who's adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair. That's a beautiful thing. Wearing of gold or whatever jewelry or putting on of apparel, that's a very good thing. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. He's saying, 
don't let this be your outward beauty. The only thing is your outward beauty, but make sure you have the ornaments that accompany the outward picture. Certainly women should and did all through history desire to put on pretty apparel, to braid their hair, wear ornaments. It's all implied. Can a maid forget her ornaments? God's, God, when trying to use this as an example of why you should not have forgot him, says, listen, when have you ever seen a young woman forget her ornaments? It's only in the days that we're living in now where they are coming and trying to make women masculine that they've ever lost this desire to be pretty that used to be in every woman, in every age, at every time. Don't mess up outward pictures. Moses lost the promised land. Don't think that pictures have no bearing whatsoever. Paul says in chapter 11 of the Corinthians that many are weak because you messed up the picture of the Lord's Supper. Many of you are weak. You would be stronger. Many are sick because you messed up that picture. Many are dead, says Paul, because you messed up that picture. I wouldn't mess with baptism. People died rather than say that the Lord's Supper was a literal, magic, turning of the bread into Christ, His body, and were crucifying Christ again. No, they died at the stake. They were burned rather than mess that picture up. They gave their life rather than mess that picture up. I tell you, your head, according to God, as a woman, is a picture of man. You're to have long hair as a picture of Christ. Don't mess that picture up. Don't take part in this Jezebel age where women are becoming masculine. Have no part of that. And all these Biblical, wholesome examples of adorning that beautiful hair. Washing, combing, braiding, ornaments, bonnets, hats. They're all in a free will manner, like free will offerings, like praises and prayers that adorn the glory of Christ and His gospel. Keep it beautiful in a biblical, natural way. None of that cat in the hat stuff. I grew up reading the cat of the cat in the hat. And uh, I tell you what, I didn't understand it. I'd read it again and try to understand it. I'm like, what is this garbage? Everything was weird and perverted. Now I realize. It was meant to mess your mind all up, you know. There was nothing funny or cute about it. But, uh, I mean, you, you just really, as a fella, you don't want to walk around with hair looking like that. That's thing number one and thing number two. You, you don't want to be like that as a female. Thing number one and thing number two. You just don't want to do it. You don't want to be like that. But this is where we're at today. Thing number one, thing number two, and a clown. This is, this is where we are at today. I don't know how long it's going to stay there, but whether you're male or female, nobody really even knows. This is what you see at Walmart today. I messed up the picture before I was saved from about age 13 
all the way up to my salvation. And it even lingered a little bit after that. My ponytail got shorter and shorter and shorter as I got more and more convicted. I messed up God's picture. On a man, the head is a picture of God. I'm not to have anything covering God in a long way. No, 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 no. I was messing up the picture really, really bad. There was a time at age 16 and part of 17 when I cut it short for a job. I tried to get it back long as fast as I could. I've done some stupid things with my hair. I had a best friend, and he came to me and says, Hey, man, all the rock and roll dudes are perming their hair now, man. Look, it's looking really, really good. We got to go get a perm. I said, Okay, are you sure about this? He said, Oh, man, I'm sure. We went to a local beauty shop, and Somehow or another, they did mine first, and I'm sitting over there in that stupid plastic cap they give you, and it came time to take the cap off, and his cap wasn't ready to come off yet, and my friend was sitting there looking at me in one of those beauty shop chairs, and that woman took off my cap, and I saw my friend's eyes. I hadn't seen the mirror yet, but he about fell out of the chair. He was just absolutely uh, just losing his mind. I had a curly cue one of those granny perms, and they took off his hat, and he had a granny perm, and we both looked at one another and realized what had happened to us, and uh, we called his grandma up, and we hid in that beauty shop until she came, and we took off running and got in the back of our car, her car, and we laid down in the back seat, and I tell you what, we were just like those men that got their beards cut off, and they had their, their backsides cut and David said, you know, you got to stay in Jerusalem and hide till your beard grows back. But I tell you what, we disappeared until we were able to get back out of that beauty shop and take that stupid thing out of our hair somehow or another. I've done some dumb stuff. I wish somebody would have taught me better. Don't mess up God's pictures. And don't sit here and look at me and imagine me with a curly Q perm. Uh, don't ta- back then, everybody was getting them curly Qs. Uh, Don't take away from the beauty of the gospel. Instead, adorn it by your life and even by your outward symbolisms. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Glorify God. God doesn't need any extra glory, but you are to call attention to Him by your life. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is beautiful, but act in a way that becomes it. Same with a woman's hair. Do things that glorify the picture. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Don't live in such a way by your life that you are causing the gospel to be blasphemed. My lips are like a thread of scarlet. There's many things throughout the Bible that you could do to your hair. Can a maid forget her ornaments? We've seen that one. God says to his bride, I deck thee with ornaments. I put bracelets upon thy hands and a chain on thy neck. I put a jewel on thy forehead and earrings in thy ears. He even says he put a crown on her, which back then was often a decorative crown made with flowers and jewels and those types of things. 
Since a woman's long hair pictures Christ and his truth and his righteousness, the beauty of his holiness, since it's beautiful and its natural glory, it's a good thing to keep it clean, combed and brushed and adorned. It's symbolic even before the angel, says Paul. I saw something yesterday that made mainstream news. A woman with super long hair was explaining how she keeps it so pretty. She said she always wrings it out before she applies the conditioner. And everybody was writing in that they tried that and it it really did help. She says she then uses a diluted apple cider vinegar rinse. And again, many testified that when they did that, it, it made their hair very beautiful. There was one thing that I found out, and uh, I'll share it with you, and then I'm going to give you one health principle, and then we'll close. It's been generally concluded that hard water, like we have in these wells, is full of minerals. And depending on what is in the water, it's generally good for drinking. But hard water has calcium deposits that can really dry your hair. It can bring dandruff to your scalp and even inhibit the growth. And since you want women and girls to have long hair as a picture of Christ, we don't want that inhibited. So it's good to know that one of the things that destroys hair is the hard water. Maybe good for your insides, but it's not usually good for your hair. Rainwater is, in contrast, soft water. Now, the softer the water, the longer you're going to have to rinse, but it's easier on the hair. Generally, rivers and surface waters are softer than the underlying groundwater. Though they say now with fertilizers that many lakes and streams are growing harder. But, you know, you see things such as the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. Very interesting. In cities, waters might not be hard, but it's filled with chlorine and fluoride and all kinds of things that are not good internally or even for your hair externally. So what they're making now are shower filters to go on the shower to get rid of the chlorine and the fluoride if you're in a city. And they make hard water filters to get rid of the hard water so your hair coming from the shower faucet won't have the calcium deposits and the heavy metals that harm your scalp, harm your hair, inhibit growth. Hardness of water is measured by calcium carbonate, component of limestone. What the hard water does, it creates a barrier preventing moisture from getting to your hair, leading to dryness and weakened hair strands and even follicles. Ironically, magnesium breaks down the calcium deposits. Some that don't have filters who have studied this use magnesium oil. Studies show that skin hydration improved twofold within the first six hours after topical magnesium application. So what they're saying is that magnesium breaks down the calcium deposits. Scientific paper mineralization of hair follicle tissue. Magnesium is good for hair growth because it helps to prevent calcium from building up in your scalp. 
in a process called scalp calcification. Calcium is a hardening mineral. It builds up on the scalp after blood vessels in the scalp begin to accumulate calcium in their walls. You want it in your teeth, you want it in your bones, but you don't want it in your hair. Because of this buildup, the vessels become stiff and flexible and can no longer give your scalp the circulation it needs for hair follicles to grow. Once this happens, hair can begin to shed. This phenomenon has been studied in rats who had large levels of calcium in their blood and experienced negative effects to their hair follicle health. Hard water can contain large amounts of calcium, which in turn builds up on your scalp, even if you don't have high calcium levels in the blood. But magnesium is good for hair growth because it counteracts calcium and its effects, ensuring that your hair is healthy and the blood vessels in your scalp maintain the circulation that it needs to allow hair growth. Which is why when they put magnesium oil, which is just certain magnesium mixed with water, it helped block the calcium in the hard water. Not only does magnesium help to unclog your hair follicle pores, but by limiting scalp calcification, it makes sure that the calcium travels through the bloodstream to the places where it's needed, such as bones or teeth. So not only is magnesium good for hair growth, but it can also, although indirectly, help with bone strength. So you want to eat magnesium internally, which is raw milk, whole grains, chia seeds, dark leafy greens, dried beans, almonds. But then they're showing that transdermal, putting that magnesium oil on your body, on your scalp, wherever it goes into the bloodstream, it actually helps your magnesium levels. But you know, when you understand that, the question you're going to ask, and this is what I'm going to leave with you, if it calcifies the top of your head, like it does your water heater and your pipes and all of that type of thing. What's it doing to the inside of your body, your arteries and your kidneys and things like that? Good question, isn't it? And what if your body's lacking the magnesium that's supposed to decalcify those things? Oh my, we don't have to ask very long. JACC, cardiovascular imaging, says in vitro and animal studies suggest biological mechanisms through which magnesium may prevent or reverse plaque formation and calcification. Wow. Magnesium may be acting as a calcium antagonist, and it may directly inhibit crystal precipitation in your body, your inward pipes. We've observed strong, favorable associations between higher magnesium intake and lower calcification of the coronary arteries. This is one of the most covered up things, I believe. Nutraceuticals, Nutraceuticals World says magnesium is actually the key to the body's proper assimilation and use of calcium as well as vitamin D. Dr. Dean says if we consume too much calcium without sufficient magnesium, the excess calcium is not utilized correctly and may actually become toxic, causing painful conditions such as some forms of arthritis, kidney stones, calcification, osteoporosis, and calcification of the arteries leading to heart attack and cardiovascular disease. But magnesium keeps calcium dissolved in the blood where it can go to your teeth and bones and not sit there in your veins and things like that. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting. 
Our diets have changed to such a degree that we're losing a lot of the magnesium in our diet. Dear Holy Father, we do pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you will help us be healthy, renew our youth, take care of us, God. Let us have the biblical balance of foods that you have ordained for your people. Help us learn these important things. And we do pray that you help us keep your pictures proper and in the right place and holy. We thank you for the beauty of pictures, Lord. Oh, we thank you so much for these things that you've given us. The beauty of holiness that we see in these pictures. We thank you for godly women and their femininity and all that pictures the beauty of holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.